message. And um, really, um, I, I've got a few different working titles, so I just, I'm not even really going to dive into a title, but I'm going to give you a word that we're talking about today. Today, I want to talk about freedom. And um, this is an important topic. And when I get a standalone message, that's a message that's outside of a series, kind of depends on, usually there's specific times of year we want to launch certain series. And here at the end of the month, we'll be launching our Builder series, which is one of my favorite series of the year. It's not just talking about money. It's talking about what is our church doing to build the kingdom of God here on earth. And so it's big picture. There's a lot of vision in it, um, direction, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to fund, and uh, really where we're going um, as a church. And always excited uh, for that series. But I've got a standalone, so I've got a message that's outside of that. And one of my favorite approaches when I get a Sunday like that, where I can just begin to ask God, hey, what do you want me to talk about today, um, is really taking a text or a verse um, that we hear about a lot. We maybe even quote, if you've been in church for a while, you may even quote it. But um, maybe if someone were to press you, you might actually not know what it really, really means. Uh, And one of those verses is found out of Galatians um, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and um, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Anybody ever heard this before? Anybody ever heard this before? It is for what? That Christ has set us? It is for freedom that Christ has set us? Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Both of these, we're going to dive back into this text later, but that phrase, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay, what does Jesus mean? What does he mean? What is freedom according to Jesus? And this is a tough passage. The reason I believe it really needs us time to air it out today is because um, it's a challenge as an American living in America under the freedom offered by America sometimes to differentiate the freedom in the Declaration of Independence from the freedom found in the gospel message. Okay, and it's really important that we create this distinction because, and I love this, let me not devalue. I never wanna be a pastor who complains about America when it gives us the freedom to worship in spirit and in truth, okay? I, I am not gonna be somebody who just slams, bashes, and trashes um, the, the American institution, and, and I, I don't wanna put myself in that category. But the reality is the freedom that was fought for in 17, all right, and the, the Declaration of Independence being signed in 1776, that freedom that was outlined was different than the freedom that Jesus is talking about, okay? And so... Um, so, so yes, land of the free, home of the brave, awesome. And, and that's good. But that is freedom to worship any God. That is freedom to speak your mind on anything. That, that is freedom to, if you work hard, you can make a name for yourself. You can become famous in this freedom. You can become very, very wealthy in this freedom. And none of that, again, is inherently wrong. If I were to pick a nation just to live in, for my own personal success, I'd pick America. It's set up, if you are a hard worker and you want to operate in that freedom, you can do something with your life. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. And just a quick reminder, I've been in a long study of American history lately because I think there's a lot of biases we have on our American history. There's a lot of rose-colored glasses looking back. Did you know that when the Declaration of Independence was signed, And we always go, we got to go back to being a Christian nation, like in 1776. Can I tell you, 18% of America went to church? 
18% of the 1776 colonial world went to church. 18%. It actually is the least Christian we've ever been as a nation. We only ever got more Christian than that. I mean, and it is now, again, we know is in decline as far as church goes. But the reality is, sometimes we talk about getting back. Our, when we were, quote unquote, what people think of as a Christian nation, that was really a 20th century phenomenon. And it was on the backside of multiple great awakenings, things like the Billy Graham Crusades. And, and so there was this picture of a Christian nation. But we have to understand that this freedom, though, is not what we should be preaching. This freedom is not what we build our faith on. There's a difference. And because I don't know if, you, do, do you guys know this? Um, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, the Declaration of Independence hadn't been signed yet. <laughs> so his freedom came first. Let's, let's remind ourselves that his freedom was first. And so I want to know, he wasn't preaching according to the filtration of the American society. He was actually preaching a true picture of freedom. So that's what I want to dive into today. So can we come at this with fresh eyes? Can you do, I've been doing this all week. I've been trying to come at it with fresh eyes and trying to redefine what freedom might look like. So our lead text for today is gonna to be found out of John chapter eight. We're gonna read verses 31 through 37. You can turn there with me or you can follow along on the screen. And Jesus was doing what he did best and he gathered a group and was teaching them. But at this time, he was specifically teaching to those who believed in him. Okay, and this is an important distinction. So essentially he's preaching to um, early Christians. They were following Christ. Christian just means Christ followers. So Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. That's a whole sermon right there. <laughs> we always argue about what discipleship is in church, don't we? Well, discipleship is intense Bible study and it needs to be super rigorous and dry and boring and dull. And yet Jesus says, if you remain faithful and live out my teachings, essentially that means what is discipleship? How, how do we grow in our discipleship? Anything that helps you remain faithful to his teachings, therefore, is discipleship. Anything that's helping me grow and walk out the way of Jesus. And he says this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We'll get back to that verse in a moment. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. Don't you know our lineage? Don't you know our history? We're descendants of Abraham. His promise of blessing was passed down to us. That's our lineage. We have never been slaves to anybody. So immediately they hear freedom and they think the difference between freedom or slavery. Um, and right, and we know that, hey, they, that this is a big thing in that day and it's still a big issue in today's world. If you don't know this, the slave trade is growing faster than it ever has in human history. There's more slavery, active slaves today than there's ever been. Obviously, there's been a lot of work in our nation to counteract slavery and all the repercussions of it, but the reality is around the world, slavery is active. And this is something that is still happening today, but it was in their day too. And so when they hear freedom, they think the opposite. I don't need to be set free. I'm not a slave. I'm not in bondage. What are you talking about? What do you mean you will be set free? So Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Just a reminder, this is right. This is one of those catches Everyone who sins, because Jesus knows all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So he's aware, hey, this applies to all of you. So anybody who sinned is a slave to sin. And a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family 
forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. If I set you free, that's what real freedom is. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Here Jesus begins to say, all of you who have sinned, which is all of you, you are actually in slavery to that sin. You are in bondage. Now, when I start to think about bondage, my mind goes to restrictions. I start to think about being stuck or trapped or tied up. I start to think and I start to feel super claustrophobic. I'm just gonna let you know, come on, where's my claustrophobic people at? Where's my people that when you think about like deep sea exploration in a submarine, your only question is, why God? Would you get into a tin can and go deep into it? No, it's fine. They've been down there for thousands of years, undisturbed. They can stay down there. I'm not that curious. My curiosity does not overcome my claustrophobicness, right? Like, I'm like, uh-uh. Space is fine. We can leave it alone. I don't need to get into a tin can and be launched up into outer space. No interest. Zero. Well, think about the views, Pastor Sam. Not worth it. Trap me? Uh-uh. I'd go nuts. I'd go crazy. Restricted. I hate being restricted. I was the kid, you know, like in the playground, and you're crawling through those tunnels. If a kid was in front of me and behind me, I turned into the kicking kid. I'm like, get out of here. Like, you've got me trapped. I hate it. This is why I hate tickling. Because I get trapped. You start laughing, and you lose strength, and you get trapped. I feel so, when people tickle me, oh, my God. And this is not permission, I will hurt you. <laughs> and no, no judge would ever convict me of whatever pain I inflict. I'd be like, they tickled my feet. They're like, go, you know, you're fine. Because dads, you know, dads, you know, uh, you can tickle your kids, but they can't tickle you. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. That is an absolute rule. But I was, I was studying for this message, and I thought back to this early story, and Philip's gonna help me uh, depict this for you. I wanna give you a picture of it, because I had a moment at a sleepover where my friends convinced me that it would be fun if I went in upside down in my sleeping bag. Now, these are the old school sleeping bags that would zip shut. How many of you know it was a trap, okay? Because you get into that sleeping bag and they zip you shut. So Philip's gonna do this just so you get a picture of it, okay? And, and claustrophobic people, you're already getting stressed. You're sweating in your seats right now. And I got into the sleeping bag like this and I wasn't as tall as Philip at the time, and I get zipped shut by supposed friends. And I still remember the feeling. I remember the sweat. I remember the panic. How many know you start kicking and thrashing and you're fighting to get out? You can't see anything. Philip, I could lead Philip right off this stage, and he wouldn't even know that I was doing it. I mean, he is stuck. He is trapped. And I kid you not, as I was preparing for this message, oh, stop right there. Oh. As I was preparing for this message, this was the mental image of a life of sin that popped in my mind. That I am so confined by it. I am so restricted by it. It's actually so dark that I'm blinded by it. I can't think straight because I'm just one out. I'm so stuck and I'm so trapped. I'm claustrophobic. I am now a slave. How many of you know if you get zipped into a sleeping bag, this thing's your master now. It owns you. You live in it. Like this is where you exist and you are enslaved to it. Give it up for Philip. Come on, taking one for the team as always. Come on, Pastor Philip. 
Can we all acknowledge, too, that he preached a phenomenal word last week? It was incredible, Pastor Philip. I was so encouraged by it. But there's this, this reality of, of what it feels like to be stuck, to feel trapped. And Jesus is trying to paint a picture that that is what sin is doing to you. So your government gives you freedom. So you think being a descendant of Abraham gives you freedom. No, no, no. You're stuck. You're enslaved. You're enslaved to something far worse and than the tangible physical realities of this world. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, I think, really connected with this part of Jesus' teaching. Because he wrote in a letter to the church in Rome, he said, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power, it actually makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And by the way, I love that he calls it a power. I mean, you know, the, 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 the drawing to sin, the addiction of sin, the, the battle of sin, it, it, it's a power. It's powerful. Otherwise, we'd all beat it right away. Why is it dry? There's something about that tree of good and evil. Oh, we could have just kept eating from the tree of life for all eternity, but we just, what about that tree of good and evil? What about the unknown? What if I went and did it my way? What if I went and figured this out? This has been the tension of humankind since Genesis. Humans going, I wonder what would happen if I just did life my way. I wonder what would happen if I stopped trusting God's plan and I made my own plan. This is the temptation. This is the challenge. And so he's feeling this. The Apostle Paul is feeling this. Is at war within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's pretty depressing. No, because he says, thank God, the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus. Thank God the answer to this is the power by the name of Jesus that overcame death, hell, and the grave, and sin. He fought temptation, and he won, and he's now offering me freedom. But that freedom... He's not found in the world. And it's definitely not celebrated by the world. You are not gonna get famous for this freedom. You're not gonna be applauded by man. You're not gonna be put up on a pedestal and everyone's gonna say, this is a picture-perfect life. Often it gets pushed down. It gets mocked. It gets belittled. But for me, I'm not doing it for the applause of man. It's not the reality of fighting for the kind of freedom that Jesus offers. So really, there are, there are two major powers at play since Genesis 1, the power of light and the power of dark. There really is good and there really is evil. And the question is, are we going to accept God's definition of good and evil or make up our own? Are we going to trust him and eat from the tree of life and keep consuming the truth of the word of God? Or are we just going to figure this out for ourselves like Adam and Eve and everybody else sense? This is the tension. And this is uh, uh, maybe a helpful distinction because a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I said this at, at, during an altar response, and it really resonated with somebody. We came, we had a conversation, and they wanted to hear more on it. And I thought maybe I should share just a little bit more on what I meant. I, I actually said, um, you know, to quit trying to fight sin on your own, because it's a battle you're not meant to win. You can't beat sin. So here's the reality. If I could beat sin, Jesus didn't have to die. That's it. If, if it was possible... And this helps us paint this picture of why there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Because the reality is he knows, hey, you can't beat this. I went and did what you couldn't. 
I, the son of a father, went and fought the battle you can't win. You need me. You need me. You, you, it requires me. You can't get free of this bondage. This sleeping bag is pulled over your head and you are stuck until you submit to the freedom that I offer. You see, sin offers what seems like freedom but delivers bondage. And truth offers what seems like bondage but delivers freedom. There is something about the truth that sets us free. There's something about the message of Jesus. There's something about practicing and following his way. But the tension is, one is the firm foundation that Jesus illustrated, talking about building your house on the rock, and the other's the quick route, building your house on the sand. But sin gets exciting for a while and often makes it look like you're ahead. Getting ahead with toxic practices, getting ahead in an evil way. And sometimes it starts to, right, if you're building a house on the sand and you have to get to skip the foundation, walls go up quick. You know anything about construction? The foundation can take months. The first day that framers are on the job site, walls are up. The first day there's more to celebrate when the framers are there than months of hard work developing the basement and the foundation. See, a lot of us, it goes, hey, I wanna, I wanna skip the foundation part. Let's just start building walls as we see fit because it feels like progress quickly, but you don't realize it's trapping you in a house that's sure to fall. It's a house of cards. Sin creates a house of cards that begins to crumble. So what did we get freedom from? We read again that Galatians 5.1 how do we not let ourselves get burdened again by a yoke of slavery? How do we walk in the freedom for which Christ Jesus set us free? I think the first thing we just need to begin to break down is just that, that Jesus, when he's talking about freedom, the main priority he's talking about, he's talking about freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. And I think it's a helpful question that maybe we need to ask ourselves is, do I actually hate my sin? Because it's really hard to get away from sin that you've embraced, loved, and justified. It's really, really difficult. I've actually never seen somebody beat sin that they accept. You gotta hate it. You gotta hate it. And again, I quoted it earlier, but Romans 8, one through two, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that part. There's a second part to the verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, set you free, from the law of sin and death. It sets you free. The yoke of slavery has, is, is, is lifted. The Galatians 5.1, that burdened yoke of slavery of sin and death, it's actually lifted because of the new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But we have to understand, hey, I can't beat this battle on my own. You're, you can't fight the power of sin with just a desire to be good. I'd like to be a good person, so I'm gonna try not to sin. It won't work because the sin is too compelling. The power is too strong. You gotta combat it with something that's actually greater. You gotta combat it with something that's actually already fought the victory and has already won the victory. The desire to be good is not enough. And I'm gonna be honest, you know, we could spend the rest of today trying to have a conversation about what is sin and what isn't sin. And honestly, sometimes even just asking like, is it sin is a pretty low level question. I like to ask questions like, is it best is it healthy? Is it good? Is it right? Is it helpful? Like those are even sometimes better questions to ask. But what I've found is we have a pretty good understanding of what's sin. And it's usually the thing in our life we are working the hardest to justify. The part of your life that you're supposed to get freedom from is usually the thing 
that you've got a lot of reasons why it's okay. You've really worked hard and you've got all these different ways that you've built up. Nope, this is why I need this. This is why I go there. This is why it's okay. This is why it's helpful. This is, and you have to convince yourself of it. What's so funny is that when people act righteously according to God's word, they don't have to convince anyone that it's good. Everyone looks at it and goes, oh, wow, you turned the other cheek. That's amazing. You could have been angry, but you forgave them. Wow, you loved your enemy. You loved your neighbor as yourself. That's incredible. Wow, you serve and you give up so much to other people. You're so generous. Nobody's like, oh, is being generous good? The whole world thinks generosity is good. Have you noticed this? The argument is not actually what's on good. It was what is good. The argument is all around what I can justify what I can try to find a way to say, this is gonna be okay for my life. And that's part of the trappings of sin is we let it in small, but it grows. Because we justify, we justify, we justify, we justify, we justify. And I've found it's just really helpful. At some point when I go, you know what? It's wrong, it's not helpful, it's not healthy, it's sin. And God, you, 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 you sent your son so that I have freedom from this. So I need your help with it. I recently was talking to a new, newer person in the church, and I love this testimony. It's a great story, and he said, you know, I've been smoking for m most of my life, and it's gotten me really sick, and I got so fed up with it back in church, and I finally just told Jesus, I was like, okay, I've tried to beat it on my own. I've done everything. I'm gonna try you. Jesus, take this from me, and no joke, the next day, the addiction was gone, broke overnight. That's not everybody's story. I know that that's not everyone's story, but there are moments, how many of you know that when you're fighting the battle and you're struggling, Jesus is like, do you want me to do the heavy lifting? Do you feel really good about yourself while you're trying to do that? I fought this for you. Let me lift it. Let me help. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is easy and light. There's something about saying, you know what? I'm gonna submit this to you. I'm gonna submit this because guess what? I have freedom from sin. And when I'm building my life according to sin, it's on the sand, but I wanna build my life on the rock, and so I'm gonna give this to you. So we get freedom from sin. We get freedom in truth. Going back to the lead text, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Church, can I encourage us from this verse that you can't fully discover his truth without faithfulness to his teachings? You see, Jesus' truth is not just things to memorize. It's not a script. And I think that's why sometimes people argue and there can be discussions around this. It's not some script. He's saying, hey, I actually want you to live this out. I'm actually giving you steps to walk. I'm giving you actions to live out. I want you to be faithful to my teachings. Because again, what was the order? He says, you are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And then you will know the truth. Truth is discovered as you remain faithful to his teachings. As I stay planted, as I stay rooted, as I build my life on the firm foundation, the solid rock of God, all of a sudden, those truths become clear over time. And then the beautiful thing, I, I love why Jesus did this. Because I've never really seen, I've not seen a whole lot of people get saved because someone's just yelling truths. I've seen a lot of people get saved because someone chose to live out truth. And they, people look at that person and go, what is it about their life? They're living this thing out. They are light, they are not dark. They have hope, they don't have despair. They have peace, they don't have stress. What, they approach life differently. They're not 
afraid of storms because they're salt. They built themselves on a solid rock. So when storms hit them, they handle it different. They don't grieve the way the world grieves. They don't deal with conflict the way the world does. There's something different about them. You see, when you live out the truth, it's a lot more compelling than when you just scream it. You gotta live it. Also because Jesus put this in priorities. He's saying, hey, actually be faithful to my teachings first. Then you will know the truth. This helps to combat the hypocrisy that sometimes grows up in church, where we learn his truth without following his teachings. We're trying to tell the truth without a life lived out. People get hurt when we do that. Don't argue with his truth, live it. Don't talk about the light, blind people with it. Don't argue with goodness, become good. His truth is not transient, his truth is not temporal, his truth is not relative. His truth does not mold to your desires and your opinions. And when you begin to accept the truth of following his teachings, freedom is what is offered. Freedom is on the other side of that. Because let's think about this for a second. If nothing's true, then everything is insecure. If nothing's true and I can't trust anything or anyone, then everything in my life is insecure. You know, if nothing was true, well, I bet that would lead to a lot of people being anxious. If nothing was true, I bet their depression rates would increase. If nothing was true and everything was insecure, I bet their suicide rates would go through the roof. If nothing was true and everything was insecure, I bet addictions would climb like never before. I bet the pharmaceutical companies would do really well in a world like that. Not, not political. I'm just saying like there's meds. There's more meds than ever before. We don't need to get into big pharma. I'm not that guy. <laughs> go talk to someone else about that. I'm just looking at the numbers. There's more people on medication than ever before. I bet alcohol sales would go through the roof, especially during a time like COVID. I bet if a pandemic hit and nothing was true and everything was insecure, I bet people would get really addicted to alcohol and drugs. And those numbers would go through the roof. Instability would go through the roof. You see, when truth comes under attack and begins to break down, the result is chaos and death. So when we say, let's fight for truth, we're not just fighting for some opinion. And look, please, know the difference between fighting for biblical truth and fighting for your pet opinion. We really need to get good at discerning that. Slow to speak, quick to listen, okay? I wanna live out, and that's why living it out really helps to speak the message. But things, there's gotta be truth. There's gotta be truth. There's gotta be light. There's gotta be dark. We power through the last two. Just a reminder, Jesus, right in our lead text, he says, what do you mean? Or they asked, what do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And keys can come on up. Can I remind us, church, we have freedom as heirs. You are a son, you are a daughter. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed, because now you are a son. Now you are a daughter of your father in heaven and you are now an heir. Now the problem is, I discovered this being a youth pastor for over a decade, is that there's a lot of people who struggle with God the father because their dad was terrible. They've never seen a healthy father. There are some of you here that you're like, I struggle with this because my dad was abusive. My dad, he left. My dad tore me down. He never built me up. My dad never showed up when he said he was gonna be anywhere. Can I tell you, can I remind you? God is a good father, okay? 
He shows up every time you call on him. He says anybody who seeks him with your whole heart will find him. He's a good father who shows up. He's a good father who knows your needs and is meeting your needs. He's a good father who gives you what you need, not what you want. He's not gonna try to earn your love by giving you sugar. When I had to take my girls to, to church early today, it's no fun at all, so what did dad do? You, if you get ready quick, we'll go get donuts, right? <laughs> go get you some sugar, because you gotta come to church so early, right? He's gonna give you what you need. You need. He's gonna give you what's healthy. He's gonna give you what's right. He's gonna give you what's good. He is a good father, and his inheritance Nothing on this side of heaven can even come close to the inheritance that's promised you in eternity. So he, when he invites you to say, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, that's not selfish. That's not some manipulative text that pastors can use to increase tithe. It's because he's saying it thinking you would understand the inheritance you have in heaven. And he's going, if you want, if you have any common sense, you're gonna want as much on the other side of eternity as you can get. So you're gonna store up treasures there. And you're not, everything I give you on earth, you're gonna give away, because who cares? It's not important. What really matters is eternity. Why, why when we prayed about the Middle East did I not make a political statement, but instead I said, you know what, what we need to do is we need to pray for souls. It's because we're supposed to live in light of heaven. We're supposed to live with an eternal perspective and we are to consider eternity. Every problem in life should be filtered through eternity. Every issue and calamity and struggle and trial and pain and storm should be filtered through with the reality that you are a son and you are a daughter of the most high God and you have an inheritance that nobody can take away. So I'm not so worried about what happens to me on this side of eternity. I hold that loosely because I know where I'm going and I know whose I am. And when I know whose I am, I know who I am. I can find my place and I can find my purpose. Don't settle for temporary pleasure that will cheat you of an eternal promise. Don't do it. You're an heir. The last one, we'll do this quickly, freedom to serve. So if you understand this, if you become an heir, you need to remember 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Don't use your freedom to cover up evil. That's the hypocrisy that hurts people. Don't do it. But live as servants of God. It means whatever he asks you to do, you'll do. Wherever he asks you to go, you'll go. In Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Jesus, help us with this. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's not my desires, it's not my feelings, it's not my wants, but through love, serve one another. We have supposed to serve people. And it's a, it's a tragedy when somebody who's living in the light and has found the freedom of Jesus looks back at those in bondage, still slaves to sin, and judges and mocks them instead of serving them. What a gross injustice of your freedom to use it as a platform to mock those still in bondage. Can I remind you, if you're living in the light and you're looking at people in the darkness, can I remind you, you aren't better than them? You just found freedom first. 
And you're supposed to be inviting them into it, helping them discover it, helping them find it. You found freedom. We're not supposed to take that freedom and use it to judge people. Can I remind you, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done so that none of us can boast about it. That's actually Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. You didn't get saved. You didn't get your inheritance because of what you did. You got your inheritance because of what he did. And so when I look back at other people, I wanna see them through God's eyes. And that includes everybody living in darkness. Well, pastors say I'm not the terrorists. Everybody living in darkness should break your heart that they are bound and slaves to sin at that level, that darkness has grown that big in their heart. Break your heart. We're not using our light as a platform for judgment. So here's a summary sentence for you. I wrote this even before I wrote the message. This is what I was trying to tell you today. Please put this on the screen. Freedom in Christ is not the right to do what we feel. You can also add or want. It is the empowerment to do what is right and then add and true. Right and true. Freedom in Christ is not the right to do what we feel and want. I now have freedom to just follow my flesh wherever it's gonna lead. No, no, no. That is the freedom of the world and it's right there for you, but it's gonna lead to bondage. It's the empowerment to actually now be able to do what is right, to be able to get unbound from sin and live a life of faith, to do what is right and to live out the truth. So let's take a moment right now and bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's respond. Let's get ourselves into that space of freedom. And I actually feel led right now in this moment. We don't do this all the time, but I feel like there might be some of you here, and you can even dim the lights just a bit. There might be some of you in this room that you're stuck in the darkness and you know it. And you need the light of Jesus. You need to be empowered to actually start building your life on the right foundation. And you need to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to step into that inheritance. The Bible actually says you're actually born again as a Christ follower. What that means is now you are born into the family tree of heaven. What that means is now you're born into the inheritance that God has. You're setting your eternity and you're committing with your life that you're gonna follow Jesus. So if you're here and you've been stuck in the darkness and felt slave to sin, with nobody looking around and you wanna accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you just slip up a hand so I can see it? A handful of people, yep, one, two, three. Yep, that's amazing. Four, yep, I see you. Five, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Give you a few more moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though five people raised their hand, we're gonna say this prayer together as a community of faith in support of those. Make it, oh, six, I see that hand. We'll make this commitment together. So say this prayer out loud and proud with me. Say, dear Jesus, Say, dear Jesus, I love you. Come into my life. Make me whole and make me new. I'm sorry for my sins. Free me from them. I repent. I turn from it. And I follow your ways. 
Help me to do it every single day. I love you, Jesus. And it's by your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you give a round of applause as you stand to your feet for those people that just accepted Jesus. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come forward. For the rest of us in the room, if you did raise your hand, I would encourage you to come down and talk to us.